Today, like I said, we're starting this new sermon series we're calling The Five C's. This is really like a vision series, so it's just going to be six weeks. So it's going to take us into the middle of October. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's something that Ryan and I have been uh, pondering and excited about sharing with you guys really for the entire year. We almost did it in January. We realized, no, uh, we need to be just in the Word of God. So that's our typical way of preaching. So if you're new with us, we preach through books of the Bible. And most of this year we've been in the book of Exodus, so that took us a while from January, and then we were in the Psalms this summer. But now we're going to take a six-week break and do um, what's sometimes called the topical series, but it's really a vision series about this way of doing life both individually and as a community that if we engage in it, will bring life in our midst, personally, in our families, in our church, when we engage in the five C's. So that's what we're going to talk about. The five C's are this, if you didn't get the email, connection, conversation, consideration, conviction, and confession. When we run through this cycle, you can think of it as a circle, this cycle again and again and again in our life, it will produce new life, fruit, and goodness, both for ourselves and for those of us, of those around us. So if we don't, as we'll see, we'll talk about this today, today's sort of an overview of all five of them, and then each week from here on out, we'll take one of them and really dive deep into it. So if you get to the end of this, and I didn't quite understand what you meant by conviction. Don't worry, it's coming soon, okay? We'll spend a whole uh, week talking about that. So today I want to focus on how they all work together, and if we don't do all of them together, how we'll malfunction, Okay, because if you don't kind of understand how they all work together or you just kind of major on a couple of them, you really won't find the kind of transformation or life that we're talking about here. Okay, so the five C's, uh, when we incorporate this language now into our community, into our cohorts, into what happens on Sundays, into our personal relationships and even our personal walk with God, when we incorporate the five C's and we really seek to complete the whole cycle, I guarantee you, you'll start to feel the kind of change that the gospel promises, okay? Here's an example of someone walking through the five C's. I just caught the tail end of it, which is confession, and we'll talk about each of these here today, confession, but that's a verbalization or manifestation into the physical world of what's already happened in the heart. I experienced that this week. I picked my son Grayson up from kindergarten. He's in his second week of kindergarten and he gets in the car. Now, he has already done preschool at this same school, and um, I've got to give you a little backstory uh, because there was a girl that was in, he's actually done two years of preschool, his first year of preschool that kind of moved a little bit quicker than him. So we did a second year of preschool with Grayson. He's my son. A second year of preschool with Grayson, she kind of graduated up to kindergarten. So he hadn't seen this particular girl in some time, and I picked him up from school, and he hops in the car, and um, he just asked this really, very strange question. He says to me, he says, he says, Dad, what was the name of that girl that was in my class a couple years ago? I'm like, <laughs> can you give me more detail? And then he talks about this birthday party that he went to at this like cool gymnastics gym, and it's like, oh yeah, I think I remember that, but I couldn't remember her name. And then he just, I mean, it was just the sweetest thing. He says, Dad, she's got the most amazing hair. <laughs> I said, whoa, what, what do you mean? And, he's, and I said, what color is it? And he goes, it's black. And the way he said it was just like, oh, you know, it was just like, I was like, oh, wow. 
And, and, and it, was, it was coming from such a deep place of conviction um, and truth, okay? And then expressed itself in confession. He says, Dad, I'm going to marry that girl one day. <laughs> I mean, and he wasn't joking. He, wasn't, he was saying it with such seriousness. And, um, and then he went on to say, like, if she happens to marry somebody else, though, that's okay, I'll marry Soph, that's our nanny. <laughs> and then he's like, but I don't know, I mean, I probably should marry somebody my own age. Anyhow, it was very sweet, and, and um, what did he do? Well, he had made a connection with this girl, I still don't know her name, <laughs> from a few years ago. He clearly had spent time with her, he'd talked to her, um, he'd considered. Now then there was a gap. See, sometimes this process isn't so streamlined. There's a gap. Now he's back like a year and a half later, and he must have seen her beautiful black hair on the playground during recess, and he's reconsidering. This is the kind of woman that I'd like to be with. It sounds so serious, but I think he's a very sweet, uh, poor guy's going to get his heart broken so many times, but, and he's, and he's reconnected, he started the conversation now again. And he's considering, and he has this conviction, I'm going to marry. And he confesses it to me. See, he's gone through the full cycle. And that, that sort of just uh, sincere, honest, um, you know, a bit naive sort of expression of truth and recognition of beauty and desire and what he might want to do with his life and who he might want to spend it with, like that is something that now exits into the world. And look, we're experiencing joy because of it, right? Even when it's just at the very earliest manifestations. He's gone through the five C's. Now, obviously, what we're going to be talking about is a much more profound, deeper understanding of the five C's, but in another way, it's not. You'll have big and small experiences of this cycle, but the key is that you work your way through all of them. That's when joy and beauty and truth enters into the world. He didn't keep what was in his heart to himself, is my point. So let me explain the five C's, and then I'll talk uh, after that about some of the malfunctions if we don't make it through all uh, the full cycle, okay? And um, we'll have a chance to look at some scripture in just a moment. So actually, why don't we do that? If you've got a Bible, would you pull it out? If you don't, there should be some in the seat backs in front of you. And um, the Black Bibles, which is a CSB version of the Bible. Grab that one if you see one of those. We're actually uh, going to be in Luke chapter 18. That's um, page 930 if you grab one of those books as well. So you can Google Luke chapter 18 too. Um, but as you're pulling there, actually let me pray and ask God to just be with us through this whole series. Father God, thank you for, you know, after Labor Day, God, we know that um, we start to to return to our rhythms of life, um, our rhythms of study and community and consideration uh, as, a, as a church body. And so we just pray as we sort of step back into uh, uh, the formal calendar year, as I like to, to see it, that you would just develop um, some healthy rhythms for us as a, as a church, um, coming to study together corporately, getting connected, God, into our medium-sized groups around the city to continue applying the word to our lives and serving our city through our cohorts, God. Um, and we pray for Alpha, God, that you would uh, stir in the hearts of people who are 
meant to be there as we make Alpha available, God, that you'd bring those whose hearts you're already working on to that event. Um, Help us if we're to be the inviters um, to step beyond comfortable and ask our friends to come to that, God. As we sort of enter into this new season, uh, may it be one of life and fruit. And and God, this vision series, the six weeks on the five C's, would you just um, protect that, give it life, God, uh, the things that connect with your way and your mission in the world, may they just ring true and loud and and, uh, stir us towards adjusting our life in the way we need to. If anything's not of you, God, um, would you just let it go in one ear and out the other? So we give this six-week sermon series to you. Do with it what you want, God, to bring life and transformation in our community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, C number one, connection. It all begins with connection. It seems sort of simple, doesn't it? But it's pretty profound. In fact, we realize how important that is after a year of not being able to connect. And um, we already come out of a generation, we already live in a city that's not particularly good at connection. And it doesn't lead to life, it leads to isolation, loneliness, um, and wandering. So connection seems simple, but we can't neglect it. It begins with connection. We've got to start with connection. I'm going to tie some of these to Sedaris principles. If you've never read those, you can go to our website. We have 14 principles that we believe help us connect to the Jesus way of living. And that's what we want to do. When we connect to the Jesus way of living, we connect to life. So the 14 principles help us do that. I think connection can be tied to what we call principle, the principle of aggressive availability. Another principle we call cultivating dual citizenship which is about being both a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the place God has planted you. So we need to have uh, one foot in the church community to ground us and one foot in the world so that we can participate in the the comings and goings of our city to make the gospel available. Um, Another is take one step beyond comfortable. You see how these all kind of interweave. That's, that's, we've got our comfort zone taking one step beyond that. That's going to allow us to take connection. Now, that, that comfortableness may have shifted over the last year and a half. So maybe one step beyond comfortable is different than it would have been 18 months ago. That's okay. The, the key here is taking one step, and that often is a step towards connection. We've got to do that. And then uh, the Sedaris principle, engage each one. So um, connection can happen corporately, but we should be connecting soul to soul, engaging each person. When we all do that, the whole body can be connected. So connection simple. But often neglected, particularly here and now in this moment in history, and we as the church should be ones that seek after connection because that's where it all begins. Second C, conversation. So it's not enough just to connect, but we need to move towards substantial, real, honest, sincere, profound conversation. God's created us to have real dialogue, right? Have you ever just like been at a party? with a group of people, could even be like a cohort or Bible study, and just never have any real dialogue. There's no, never real exchange. We want to have real exchange. We're exchanging ideas, experiences with one another, real exchange. And, um, and what happens then is real learning of one another. We're created to be known and to know others, and that starts with great conversation. So you're connected, now you're having conversation, and the principles uh, that we talk about at Sedaris um, are, one, kiss cocktail conversations goodbye. Uh, you can read about that online. 
leading with lament. It's a great way to start any conversation about any topic is to lead with lament. We have a shared experience of the brokenness of this world, and we lead with that. It can lead us into deep, profound conversation. Um, another principle, again, engage each one. Um, uh, another principle, don't take yourself too seriously. You'll never have great conversation if you take yourself too seriously. Uh, but we take God very seriously, <laughs> but not ourselves. And then uh, the last one I'll just put under this category is let's pray now. Um, prayer is conversation with God. So if we're never praying, if we're never actually talking to God, if there's never real dialogue between us and God, real exchange, real getting to know God, we will malfunction in the five C's. So let's pray now is one of our principles, and it's so important to bring God into the conversation. So oftentimes this, you could be having a meeting with me, and we'll be talking about something, and I'll be like, hey, let's pray now. <laughs> because I feel like this is something to invite God into. This is part of the conversation to invite him into. So uh, that's so important to remember that conversation, all these things happen between us and God as well as us and one another. Okay? Number three. Uh, consideration. So on, we connect, we're conversing, and in the real exchange of ideas and, and knowledge of one another, um, we come to this place of true consideration. It's not simply learning new things. It's not data collection. That's not what consideration... We use this term a lot here at Sedaris, the, the name of our church. Sedaris comes from the Latin root of consider. So we talk about considering all the time, but it's just one of the five season this process. And it's not simply learning or data collection. It's more akin to humbling yourself. Here's what I mean by humbling yourself. When you're truly considering, you're now moving out. If, if you think of knowledge as a circle, you're now moving yourself out of the center of knowledge and you're allowing something else to take center stage. And you're giving it your attention uh, sincerely and honestly, wondering, could this be true? So you think about that. You're reading the scriptures. This is one of the ways to engage the five C's. You're, reading, you're connecting with God through his word. You're conversing with his word, hearing his words to you. He, he's the author of scripture. So we're having a conversation with God. We have to come to that moment where we step out. and We said, I've always thought this one way. Now I'm reading something that makes me wonder. Could this be more true? Perhaps I've gotten it wrong. Perhaps I'm not seeing it clear. Perhaps there's more truth to this, more beauty to this, more goodness to this than I thought. So I've stepped out. So it's really more akin, considering is really more akin to humbling yourself rather than just data collection. So am I really giving truth an opportunity to come to life for me to see it for what it is? That's what we mean when we say consideration. Now obviously you see how the stimulation of connection and conversation will lead us into great consideration as we're asking the question, could this be true? Could this be more good than how I've seen it before? And so the principles that we'd connect to that would be look up, which is to get out of the rubble of life at times and just look up and see the greatness and glory of God. We did that through our stargazing worship night a few weeks ago. Keep considering is one of our principles, which is to say that this process doesn't just happen once, but again and again and again. There's more to consider and more to discover about God, who he is, who we are, who each other is, what our mission, our task, our purpose, our meaning. There's so much more to it, so we keep considering. It's never a one-and-done type of thing. 
Another principle, honesty breeds freedom. Like I said, unless you humble yourself and you, and you say, I probably don't have every answer to every question, don't know everything, let me give space. When, when honesty happens, it breeds freedom to see what's actually true and good. Truth rises to the top. Um, don't, again, don't take yourself too seriously because if, if you think you know everything and you stay in the center, you'll never actually consider and, uh, and then principle zero at Sedaris, which is sort of the overarching principle, which is it's not about you, it's about Jesus. And so if you never let him take center stage and wonder, is he true, is he the good, the beautiful, the most true thing, of course you'll never come to know if you stay there in the middle. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. So, um, so those are the first three. And um, I'm not going to tie the last two to our principles because, not that they're not tied, they are, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a little bit more time talking about these last two because they're the most misunderstood. And part of the reason we want to do this series is I think we do pretty well as a community getting through the first three, connection, conversation, consideration. We talk about those a lot, but sometimes it might seem like the last two aren't really a part of our ethos. So part of us doing this series is to re-engage these because without them, like we said, if you just stop at consideration, even great consideration, you'll end up not experiencing the, the life change and transformation and growth that God wants for you. So the last two are conviction and confession. And, and to be honest, these words, they pack a lot of baggage for some of us. We think they mean just one thing, but actually what we'll see is they mean so much more. So let me just um, spend a little bit of time talking about these last two. Conviction. When we've stepped out of the center, we've allowed something, could this be true? We've allowed it to, to we've honestly considered it, we've sincere, sincerely looked at it, we've said, could this be true? Or perhaps maybe that's wrong, a wrong way to live. That's part of consideration. Maybe that's the wrong way of living. Um, right after we do that, we can have conviction. Which is, no longer could that be, or perhaps that is, or maybe, but now it is, oh my goodness, that is true. That thing that I've considered, that is true. That is right. That is good. Or perhaps we say, I have been wrong. I was wrong. The way I was living was not the way of righteousness, the way of God. You have this conviction. Now, it can only come if you've done true consideration. And if you skip that step, you miss uh, an important part of the process. We'll talk about that in a second. So conviction can happen um, apart from the Holy Spirit. So you can have like sort of uh, conviction about things without the Holy Spirit, but what we're talking about here is really providing the space for God to speak. And so the kind of conviction we're looking for, we're hoping for, that leads to the kind of life change that the gospel promises is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is the third person of God. The invisible, moving third person of God that, that Christ has sent to us to give us conviction. That's what we're hoping for, because that's when true, resurrected life happens even now. Okay. Like I said, these last two create a lot of misunderstanding. So let me give you a little bit extra here. When I speak of conviction, um, 
perhaps the only thing you think about is being convicted of sin. Now, that's definitely a part of what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts the world of sin. The Scripture tells us that. He helps us to realize the way we've been living is out of tune with the creator of the universe. So he'll convict us of that out of love that we might retune our life to be in tune with God. Okay? But that's just one part of what conviction is. Now, talk about the rest of what conviction is, but just speaking about this being convicted of sin or missing the mark or being out of tune with God, um, let me just say this. Sometimes we can be, feel false conviction, which is that maybe we consider something and we feel a, a sense of guilt, a sense of, man, I have done something wrong, and it feels like conviction, but it's not actually coming from the Holy Spirit. It's coming from something else, some voice in the culture, some person in, the, in your family, some ill-guided help from a parent. Like, we experience conviction that's not of the Holy Spirit. So one of the things we have to do when we're going through the cycle of the five C's is to make sure that if we're talking about the conviction of sin, that that conviction is rooted in, first, the Word of God, because the Spirit is the one that inspired the Word of God, so He won't contradict Himself, and that that Spirit is coming from God Himself. And so it's through prayer, it's through reading the Word of God, it's through conferencing with other Christians that you trust to make sure that this conviction is coming from God and not from something else. And this happens all the time. You've experienced, you definitely have experienced false conviction or false guilt. And I just want to be um, very clear about that because if we're not connecting and we're not conversing with other Christians and with the Word of God and with God through prayer and not really considering but just jumping straight ahead to conviction or listening to somebody preach a word of conviction, we can experience a lot of what I call false conviction. So just be careful about that. But the Spirit of God definitely convicts the world of sin, including you and me. And so we, that's part of why we want to do all five of these so that we're not just experiencing conviction in a bubble or by watching online or television evangelists who may be convicting us of things that aren't truly coming from God, okay? Um, okay, so conviction of sin is just part of it. And it's not, and this negative sense of conviction is, I, I think, not even the, the bigger sense of what conviction is. Conviction is actually a positive. It's a good. It should be something we're excited about because it's a recognition on, on a deep spiritual level of the most true things in the world. Of course, God being the most true and His Son, Jesus Christ, being the physical manifestation of the most true. So conviction is primarily a positive feeling. So being convicted about the truth of truth. This is such a good thing. So every time that I feel that God is trustworthy, that's conviction. Now, oftentimes we, we say it a little bit differently when we're talking about this kind of conviction, but it's the same thing. You're saying, I have conviction that God is trustworthy, right? So every time I see a fellow human being who perhaps is being treated um, lesser than, poorly, oppressed, um, disenfranchised, less than human, when I feel that the image of God is being... Um, violently destroyed in that person, 
That, that's a conviction. I have conviction that that's wrong, right? I have conviction that everybody's created in the image of God. So everyone has value. That, that's, a con, that's a positive conviction. Now, I might, I might be reminded of it by a negative situation, but it's a positive conviction that every human being has immense value created in the image of God. I have conviction about that. Again, see the positive nature of conviction. So every time I'm trusting in God, every time I'm experiencing his goodness and believing it's true and thinking about Christ and what he's done for me, that's conviction. And that's why the Bible says we are to be people of conviction. The church is a people of conviction. We're people of conviction because we have this strong sense, not just knowledge about, but a conviction that it's personally true, that it's truly true. That's the conviction that comes on the heels of consideration. So it's a beautiful thing. Conviction, I think we don't like to talk about it because we only think about it in the negative sense. Now, we're going to have a whole week on conviction, so we'll come back to this, but I I just wanted to set this up for you now so that you don't kind of skip those last few weeks. Don't avoid conviction language because it's really a positive when we become into tune with who God really is through the act of connection, conversation, consideration. So we seek it, we invite the Holy Spirit to, to, to make us people of conviction. That this place, Sitter's Church, would be a church of conviction. That we sense deeply the truth of who God is, who we are, and what we're to do in his world. Which brings us then to the fifth seat, confession. Again, confession is, is one of these very misunderstood terms in sort of modern colloquialism of the church. And we, t- you know, we tend to think about it maybe as sort of the Catholic confessional booth, and this is where you go, and we've just got to say all of our sins out loud. And, and there's some truth to that. And in, in fact, at times, I wish that I had a Catholic confessional booth to go to and speak aloud the things that I've done wrong, because there's freedom in that. There's freedom in not holding within the conviction that you've just experienced. So we've got to find a way to confess our sins to one another. You can confess your sins to me, but I, I'm not special, so you could do it with someone in your cohort, a close friend. But, so that is part of it, but I think it's in our mind become the whole thing, and we need to restore, recover what I think are the beautiful parts of, the more beautiful parts of confession. So confession is a physical manifestation of the conviction of the Holy Spirit we've just experienced. So that conviction is an internal, confession is now the external. Um, so think, think of falling in love. Think of falling in love. You've connected, you've conversed, you've considered, is this somebody that I want to spend my life with? And you experience conviction. I do. Now, eventually, you will confess that. Like, you'll say it out loud. So, so part of it is saying out loud through either, um, you know, proposing or even just saying your vows at your wedding, you're confessing out loud the internal conviction you have that this is a person that God wants me to love for the rest of my life, till death do us part. So, so I, I do say the words, but it's not just the words. Like, if you just propose or just say your marriage vows, but you don't change the way you live and act with the rest of your body, you've fallen short of true biblical confession. 
But I just want to make that clear. It's not only the expression of words. It includes that, but it also includes the expression of your life and your body. So when you fall in love, you will change the way you act towards this person, right? Well, you should if you're truly in love, if you've experienced true conviction of the Holy Spirit, that God has set this person apart as the one person that you will love as a spouse. Your actions should change as well as just your words. Though words are important. Okay, so um, so think of, con- now let's go back. So think of conviction of sin for a second, because that is a part of it. And um, when you experience this conviction, it's, again, not just about saying, I've done this wrong, okay? So you've connected with the Bible, perhaps, you've, you've read it now, uh, you've not just heard somebody else talk about it, but you've read it for yourself, uh, now you're having a conversation with God in prayer, you're like, God, help me understand this, like, what does this mean for me right now, in my life, in the way I'm acting, you know, God, Help me to see. And then you move to consideration. You, you step out of the center. You're like, God, reveal something through your word that perhaps needs to change. And then you come to this conviction of sin. You're like, oh my goodness, this way that I'm living is not in accord, not in tune with who God is and what he has planned and designed for me. I, like, I realize it's wrong. Okay? Now, if you just stop there, what, what, what have you done? Well, you've done four of the five. But you're not going to experience life change. And, and even if your confession is only verbal... You step into the confessional booth, you say, I've done this wrong, but there's no physical change in the way you live your life, you've fallen short of confession, because confession is both verbal but also through your actions. And when we do that, now we have the full cycle of the seas, and God, again, will do this over and over again in your life as he begins to tune you in every way to his goodness and plan for your life. You see that, though? Confession is both verbal but also through a change of, of, of every part of how you live live out that conviction in your life. So you've got to have all of that. So, I'm jumping back and forth here. So that's conviction of sin, but then there's the conviction of truth. And what you see in the history of the church is these confessions of faith. So you may have heard of like the Westminster Confession in the 1600s, or the Heidelberg Confession. Um, and we've sort of lost that language of confession. But what these are, are these, they're these creeds or these statements of belief that Christians have gotten together and said, this is what we corporately agreed to. We've had a corporate conviction that this is who God is, this is what his scriptures say that he's doing in the world, and we corporately agree to this. So they're called confessions. So you see, confession is such a bigger uh, umbrella than just confessing your sin. And so this confession of truth can come in three forms. So you can confess, I was wrong about who God was. I was wrong about who Christ is. I was wrong, and now this is right. Now I see that this is right. That's a confession. See, it's not typically related to what we think as sin, though thinking, believing, saying wrong things about Christ can also be put in the category of missing the mark. So it's the first way of confessing truth. Uh, I was wrong. The second way is, I never knew. I confess, I never knew. I never heard about that. Nobody ever told me that. I confess. See, that's a positive. It's exciting. I didn't know, and now I know. It's a confession. It's a positive. It's exciting. Nothing wrong with saying that. I say that all the time. I never knew that. I missed that. (laughs) I'm glad to know, okay? Then the third form of confessing truth goes like this. I thought I knew... Or I knew in part, 
now I see more fully. I thought I really knew that. Now I really, I, I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me over my years of study and studying the word. Like, oh, I thought I knew. Now I know. You know what? Because I'm going to keep considering. <laughs> I'm going to have that experience, maybe with that exact same passage of the Bible, maybe that, with that exact same doctrine or truth of who God is. It's this, I knew a little bit, and now I really know, and then I'm going to have another, now I really know, and I'm just going to keep going like that. Because God is an infinite God, and we are finite beings. So we'll always have that form of confession. And again, it's a beautiful confession. I'm just like, ah. It's not like, ah, shoot. Ah, man, such a bummer. I didn't really know that. It's like, no, this is even better. So all three of those are parts of confession, which is confessing a truth that uh, we, saw, we, we saw wrongly, never saw, or only saw in part. And so we joyfully confess when truth becomes more aware or more clear in our mind or we experience it in a way that we never thought possible. So we have these, this ongoing confession. Again, cycles of this will happen over and over in big ways and in small ways. In big ways and in small ways. Through reading scripture, through hearing sermons, through reading books by authors that are either currently alive or dead. You're having connecting with them, conversations with them. New consideration will happen, conviction. I mean, I have this in a number of areas of my life. This cycle is happening. Sometimes the cycle takes a very long time, years and years and years. Sometimes it happens like the full cycle happens in like two minutes. So it can happen over time. Anyhow, sometimes these cycles are personal. Sometimes they're corporate. But the full cycle needs to happen. So let me give you two big examples to kind of get, again, get you clear with this idea of how the five C's uh, work. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the two most famous creeds uh, in church history. Uh, the first one is called the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed has been, is the oldest sort of formalized creed that we know. There's even uh, older creeds that are embedded in the New Testament, like the church within the first 50 years after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection had creeds, and they come out in some of the New Testament letters. But the most formal sort of creed that's in the form of a creed, which just means is a confession, which is creed is just the Latin root for I believe. Um, the first is the Apostles' Creed, and this is a very personal. And the second is what's called the Nicene Creed, which is a very corporate or communal confession. Let me just talk about those and we'll walk you through how the five C's work. So the first is, is uh, related to the Apostles' Creed, uh, and it's related to the personal um, experience of coming to know that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is who he said he was, that he is the Savior of the world, that he is your personal Savior, and that you want to trust in him for salvation and for the good life, okay? So this is how it happens for everyone. Now, again, sometimes this takes decades. Sometimes it happens within the first time you ever come to church or come to Alpha or have a conversation with a Christian. So it always happens like this, though, though it look, takes a number of different forms. The first goes like this. We connect to some person, or maybe we just find a Bible in our hotel room. Lots of people have that story, believe it or not. You know those little Bibles? I think they may or may not. I think they're getting rid of them, but a group of Christians thought it was very important for people traveling to have access to a Bible. Lots of stories of people just finding that and starting to read it and realizing, oh my gosh. So we connect with a person or Bible 
uh, or, or some type of event, and we're connecting ultimately to the gospel message. So we're connecting to this good news about God, a God who created all uh, and sustains all and who loves his creation so much that he came into the world by sending his son who then lived in human form, the, li- the perfect life that we never live, so that he might be the perfect sacrifice and die in our place on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago and, and absorb the penalty or the debt due for our sin between a holy God and his unholy uh, creatures. And then that God brings his son back to life to prove that the, the payment is complete, the victory is won, sin, death, the devil are defeated, and Jesus is alive now, and he is our king. Okay, so that's the good news. So we connect to that, we hear it for the first time, but then we have to have some conversation about it. Now again, this could happen, and you could, that conversation could be very quick in your head. Is this true? Is this true? I don't know. You're talking to God about it. Or it could take years and years. Talking with others, tell me more, questions answered, clarifications made, rehearing it. Prayer is critical in this. Like I said, you will not work through it unless you're actually talking to God about, God, is this really your son? Is this really what you've done? So prayer is critical, but we're connecting. Now we need to have a conversation about this. And and at some point, that conversation, we're freed up enough. The conversation moves us out of the middle that we've humbled ourselves and we're open. We're open to knowing that maybe we were wrong or maybe we just never knew or maybe we didn't really know who this Jesus was. Now we're considering, could this be true? Is God really forgiving me of my sin and my guilt? Is he really king of the universe? Is he really adopting me into his family? Is he really storing up for me an inheritance of eternal life and joy and goodness? Is is this all true? Is he really saving me? sinner like me. I'm really considering. I don't know yet. And then it moves into conviction. Now we've seen the thing for what it is. We've really talked through it. We've clarified what it is, and we've really considered it, and we say, he is. Jesus is who he said he was. He really is promising me these things. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit, confirming that truth that you've considered, that thing that you've read, that message that you've heard, that good news. And it becomes true in your heart. Often it's associated with like a sensation of peace, of feeling loved unconditionally like you've never felt before. Feeling forgiven for things that have always just rubbed you and grinded on your conscience. Feeling as if those things, not that they weren't wrong, but now they don't hold you. That you're not under its condemnation. So you're not feeling self-loathing like you used to do or self-condemnation. Like... You're feeling valued in a way that you never have before. That's that conviction that comes after consideration. Oh my gosh, it's true. But now the Bible tells us that's not where it ends. Now we confess with our mouth what we've believed in our heart. That Jesus Christ is Lord. He is risen from the dead. He is king of the universe. So it's not just words though. It's also, now I start following him. Now my feet follow my mouth. I don't just say he's my Lord, but I actually start acting as if he is. He now owns everything. I realize I'm just renting from him. Everything I own is his. 
Like, 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 actually, it shifts. Not just your words, but everything shifts. That's part of your confession. Now, in the early church, like in the first few hundred years of the church, people had to memorize, be thankful if you've been baptized, that's, that's, we don't make you memorize this, the Apostles' Creed. And they, after oftentimes many years of a process of like learning and growing and considering and experiencing this conviction, uh, will finally come to this place where they would go through the baptism ceremony. The baptism ceremony is sort of the one ceremonial thing that we do to express confession publicly. So they would read this or recite this creed at their baptism. So I just want to read it for you because for thousands of years, 2000 in particular, Christians have been saying this creed, confessing this creed. So throw it up here, Ryan. Here's the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God. Now you could say this in your heart with me if you want. You can say it out loud too if you want. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, that's the Roman governor, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence, or there, <laughs> he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe as well in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. That just means that's just Catholic just means universal. The co- communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. So for two thousand years, people, when they come to this conviction that that's true, then confess that as part of their. Uh, outward expression of this thing that's happened internally. So you see the full cycle there. And, and we've experienced that, haven't we? Like Jennifer just got baptized, and when she expressed what's been happening in her heart, it blessed us all, didn't it? It's part of her transformation. Maybe one step you're uncomfortable, but it changes you when you actually express, and it changes the world around you. And we experience that. So that's personal, first time trusting in God. Now, the second, and I'll fly through this one, is these ideas of this corporate confession or communal agreement on the truth about who God is and who Christ is. And so uh, we're going to read here in a second the Nicene Creed, which was written or or, or finalized in uh, 325 AD, Uh, so that was a long time ago, and about 300 church leaders came from all over the world because Christianity had spread quite a bit by then, and they met in modern-day Turkey in a town called Nicaea. That's why it's called the Nicene Creed. So they come from around, and they actually go through the five C's. They don't say they do, but they, they actually do. And they come to this agreement or consensus through the power of the Holy Spirit on, on these particular truths about this is what it means to believe as a Christian about who God is and what Jesus has done. So they connected physically. Now, no net jets back then. Uh, very hard to get to Turkey if you were pretty much anywhere. Huge commitment to what? To be in the presence of other believers. But they're committed. They had to connect. There's something that can only happen when we connect. Incredible investment to get there. 300 of them. Imagine that. Now what did they do? They conversed. They spent at least a month Searching the scriptures, praying together, talking among themselves. This isn't like a weekend conference, okay? They spent over a month together 
wrestling with, are we hearing from God right? Are, have we been right on these? And, and one of the big reasons that it, the, uh, the, uh, the conference of these important church leaders was convened was because there was some other teaching, some alternative teaching that had kind of come about. And so they wanted to make some decisions about, you know, this stuff. So they're talking about this stuff. And consideration is happening. Are we, are, are we seeing this clearly? Is this alternative teaching? Are they onto something that we missed? Do we have blind spots? What is actually true? How do we clarify what we think the Bible teaches? 300 of them doing this. What are the foundations? So they're considering, they're truly considering, you know, we want to be helpful. We want to help clear this for the community of Christians around the world. And they experience then conviction. Conviction of what is true and what is not true. They come to consensus about this other alternative teaching, this alternative gospel, this alternative view of who God is. And they clarify, and there's this collect 300 alpha males, right? Like these are like, these are some big hitters who in their own regions of the world are pretty serious people. And they come to a consensus about wording that will now be used, and we're still going to read it today, and people still read it. I mean, just think about that. How, how could that possibly happen? The answer is the all-powerful God, who is above them all and sends his spirit to provide unity and harmony and consensus and conviction pointing in the same direction. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? 300 of them, and they come to this consensus. That's conviction. And then it leads to confession, and they write and distribute what's come to be known as the Nicene Creed. So we don't have time to read it right now, but you can look it up. It's on our website. We continue to say, we believe in the Nicene Creed. The conviction that those 300 church leaders came to, we agree that's from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit never changes his mind. <laughs> Truth never changes God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow, so that conviction that they experienced then, a consensus, we agree with. We teach historic, orthodox, apostolic Christianity, that, that God hasn't misspoken over the years. So we agree with it. So that'd be a corporate confession. But it's important for individuals and communities to confess to things that they have experienced and been convicted are true. So why did I pick these two big examples? Because like I said, there's tiny, I mean, you just experience all forms and sizes of this. Um, why did I pick these? Um, because transformation will only happen. The world will only be transformed. You will only be transformed. This church will only be transformed when all five C's are engaged, okay? So we have to engage them all. And I fear at times uh, that we only highlight, or maybe we over-highlight consideration, and then perhaps we don't understand the conviction and confession that needs to come after that. And, and these are great examples of that they get all the way to the point of a, con, a, corp, a confession that then everybody knows about. So um, if, we're, if we get stuck at consideration, I think we fall into the trap that you see progressive Christianity falling into, which is sort of uh, teaching uh, the sort of teaching a false gospel that being open to ideas is a form of salvation, right? Like, I'm just going to be open to things that maybe my parents weren't open to. So opening my mind 
let's be clear, is not salvation. Considering is not salvation. It's a critical step to finding the true source of salvation. That's why we highlight it so much. We think many people have never actually truly considered the gospel of Jesus Christ. They think they have, but they've never actually done it. So that's why we highlight it. But unless you have conviction and confession, you have not truly engaged in the full process of salvation. So if you have connection without conversation, or sorry, connection and conversation without the other three, you're going to have community with no transformation. You get the community, it's good, I've got my people, I've got my, uh, my folks, but I have no transformation. If you have connection, conversation, and consideration without the other two, you're going you're gonna to be very informed, <laughs> but you're never going to be changed. You'll be very informed, very sort of, a lot of data, but you're never going to be actually changed. If you have consideration and then conviction and confession without the other two, you may have truth, but you don't have anyone to share it with. And so it malfunctions. You fall short of experiencing the fullness of what God has desired for you. If you have conviction and confession without the other three, without true consideration, without being in community, without connecting with God, you're prone to judgmentalism, you're prone to legalism, you're prone to sectarianism, which means to separate from all those other people who don't have the same convictions as you, confession as you, which again is not the transformation God's wanting for his world. Okay? So let me give you two examples of this in the scriptures. So I told you to turn to Luke 18, so I'm going to read to you a story in Luke 18, known as uh, the rich young ruler. It goes like this. Luke 18, verse 1. Um, a ruler asked him, that's Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. Jesus is being a bit tongue-in-cheek here. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. I have kept all of these from my youth, the young ruler said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. After he heard this, the rich young ruler became extremely sad because he was very rich. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked him, then, <laughs> then who can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Then Peter said, Look, we have left what we had and followed you. So here's an example of somebody who gets pretty far down the five C's. <laughs> He's connected with Jesus, he's conversing, there's real dialogue, real exchange, he's truly considering what Jesus uh, is offering, what Jesus has said, and he, even, he deeply considers the call that Jesus puts on his life to give away everything to the poor and to follow him. I think he might even experience conviction of the Holy Spirit. Why? He says he was sad 
That's not a trite word. He was deeply moved in his heart, but yet he could not get his feet or his lips to follow. And he goes away. He misses out. He came to walk this earth with the creator of it. He just falls one short. Oh, I mean, he feels that he knows that this is true. I think he's convicted. He knows Jesus is true, but he can't do it because he's very wealthy. We've all been there. I've been there. But I've tried. I've done so much. I've, you don't know what it's like. You don't know how much effort I've put in. You don't know. Jesus says, follow me. Sometimes we just can't do it. We've got to do all five to experience transformation. Now, you don't have to go far. Just go to the next chapter, chapter 19, to see another story of another very wealthy person who completes the cycle. Ready? This is, this is a man named Zacchaeus. Chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho. That's Jesus. Jesus entered the city of Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. I mean, he was a very wealthy scumbag. So he um, basically took people's money. Okay. Uh, and he was very rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus clearly, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to this place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come on down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. It's like the ultimate inviting yourself over. <laughs> you have friends that do that. I'm so glad you're going to make me dinner tonight. I'll be there at 8. Okay. It's very late. I eat late. Okay. Okay. Here we go. So he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. He says, hurry. And so Zacchaeus quickly came down, welcomed Jesus joyfully, and all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. Jesus is always doing this, hanging out with the kind of people we didn't think he'd hang out with. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I have exhorted anything from anyone, sorry, extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Now, there's obviously so much in between that, ha- that I guess sort of isn't the point, but clearly Jesus is telling him the message of salvation and what he's come to do, and he's come to his house, it even seems like, like when we just look at it, it seems like all this happened very quickly on the side of the road, but if you look closely, it's actually probably at his house, he's heard the message, he's considered it, he's obviously having a conversation with Jesus, and he comes to the place where he says, I'll give away half. Now, if you just read the last story, it's like, but that other guy had to give away all of it. That's not how the Holy Spirit convicted Zacchaeus. He's going to convict us all differently, to act differently. It's very particular. But conviction doesn't always look, give it all away, but sometimes it might. Because that might be what you need to truly confess Jesus as Lord. Zacchaeus just has to give half away. (laughs) But he experiences the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and he confesses, I'll do it, and I'll follow you. You're my new Lord. And he experiences, Jesus says, salvation, and the promises are added unto him. He says, this man is also a son of Abraham, meaning he's a part of the family of God now. Even though he was scum 
in that context. The tax collector, the one that would steal from good people because he's repented, felt conviction after consideration and confessed Jesus as Lord and changed his life, he experiences transformation. You see that? It's not, it's not an accident that these stories are so close in Luke. Luke's showing like, oh, you got to go through the whole thing to experience the life Jesus has planned for you. Now, um, I don't have time for this, so I'm not going to do it. But I do want to say this. If you go and you read Genesis chapter 3, I just, uh, if you read it, this is, uh, this is Adam and Eve in the garden, and they're tempted by the serpent. And the serpent comes and, and walks them through the five seas. And they ultimately, they're connected with a lie about who God is and that God doesn't really want the best for them. They talk about it with a liar who convinces them. They consider it. Does God really want my best? Or is he really keeping something? And they come to a conviction that God is trying to keep them from something. And they act. They go through the whole process. And they change their life. And they, know, they stop listening to God. And they start listening to a lie. And they take of the fruit. And the whole world breaks. So my point is this. The five C's. You can run the five C's in the wrong way. You can look at the wrong truth. You can connect with the wrong thing. You can consider lies. And if you come to the conviction that they're true, you can actually break your life, break the world, destroy people and yourself along the way because you've run the five C's in the wrong way, with the wrong people, and the wrong truth. I just want to throw that in there because it's not uh, uncommon to see people going through the five C's and coming to very different conclusions. But look at what happens. Does it lead to life, transformation in a good way, or does it lead to death and brokenness? That's the question you have to ask. And it'll help you now identify which things to connect with the next go-around.